What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 169 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today we're joined by Paul Guth. He is the co-founder and CEO of IQ Power Tools. Power Tools with integrated dust collection systems. You've probably seen their saws on the market, on Instagram, wherever it might be, taking the dust out of our cutting, out of our dry cutting. Really incredible tools, and we get into all the different aspects of their benefits from your employees, your clients, neighbors, whatever it might be, as well as your own health and safety on the job site. But mostly we focus in on blades in this episode, and this is a topic that has come up time and time again whenever somebody messages me on Instagram at How to Hardscape of a episode that they want to hear. Uh, just going into a different blade technology, what makes a good blade, everything like that we get into on this episode. And IQ Power Tools was a early sponsor of the How to Hardscape podcast. So I do want to say very much thank you to IQ Power Tools for sponsoring the How to Hardscape podcast. And if you get any value in this episode, it would really mean a lot to me personally if you reached out to IQ Power Tools on Instagram at IQ Power Tools and just sent them a message saying, hey, heard you on the How to Hardscape podcast. Great information. Or if you haven't yet checked out IQ Power Tools, go check them out there. IQ Power Tools on Instagram. There are some visuals in this episode. We get into talking about different blades and their different saws that they have for hardscapers. Now, it's not necessary that you would need those visuals, though they are referenced at points in time in this interview. And if you want to see those visuals, you can go to our YouTube channel. I am a hardscaper. If you just search that in, our YouTube channel will pop on up. And that's going to be showing the blades and the visuals of that we talk about in this episode. And later we'll have the full episode at how to hardscape on youtube as well so without further ado let's get into today's episode today we're joined by paul guth he is a third generation mason and the co-founder and ceo of iq power tools with integrated dust collection systems paul thank you so much for joining us here my pleasure mike uh, really excited to get involved with uh, you know your podcast how to hardscape and reach out to the community and the hardscape community because there's a, a lot of knowledge that uh, can be shared out there. Absolutely. And uh, IQ Power Tools has been top of mind for me for quite some time here. Uh, and I know we've got some great topics to get into here with you, Paul. Uh, let's get started to get to know a little bit, little bit more about you yourself, Paul. How you got started in the industry, uh, kind of what business uh, you know, you started with to kind of prompt you to get started with IQ Power Tools. Can you give our audience a little bit of context about Paul? Yeah, well, I, I kind of start out that story just to tell everybody that I'm a, uh, a journeyman mason by trade. That was kind of the trade. My uh, father, my grandfather was in the masonry business. So we kind of grew up in and around and became contractors ourselves. That was just kind of the natural progression. So I was a mason contractor. I was also a general contractor. Um, so I have a lot of uh, experience in construction. Well, I was uh, in around 2000, I was working with my brother, Joel, who's also a mason contractor and was working with his company. We had a, he had a very large company, about 100, 100 plus employees, uh, multiple projects all over the kind of the Western uh, United States. Um, and one of the things that we kept finding uh, as a challenge was the respiratory program, because there was dust out there. We were dry cutting with our masonry saws and the dust was flying and trying to, you know, manage a respiratory program was very difficult. 
And so we actually, uh, my brother Joel invented a 14-inch masonry saw that went into the marketplace through MK Diamond. And that was a dry cutting masonry saw. And when that came out to the market, you know, it was dry cutting and it started producing a lot of dust. And so that was about 2000 uh, when we received those on our job sites. We started to use them and we realized that we had to do something about the dust. Um, and that prompted us to go, you know, back into the shop. And, you know, I was kind of an amateur fabricator myself. And so we just started, we built the first one. Uh, a dust collector for the masonry saw. It worked. We put it on our job sites. Uh, it solved the problem. In 2004, we went to our first trade show because people were asking, you know, you know, how can they get the, some of the tools that we were using on our own job sites? And uh, we started selling machines in 2004. So that kind of put us in business. And if we pan over here to uh, my left over here you can see that's kind of the big masonry saw that we started out with and you know we really were having an industrial machine um and then we kind of progressively designed the machine to get smaller and smaller and in 2010 we introduced what we call the iq360 which is that very small machine with the 14 inch blade and kind of progressed from there uh, and that's how kind of we got involved in hardscape so that's just a real you know snapshot of my uh how i got into business in 20, 2012 we actually stopped closed down the construction business and put all of our efforts into the uh products business and we've just been expanding rapidly from there so very interesting stuff i want to uh quickly touch on you as a business owner in the construction industry um what was that like was was it uh like a partnership with your brother throughout that and kind of what was that dynamic like uh, being a, a partner in a business with a relative in the masonry sort of uh, side of things there? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, the relationships are always challenging, especially when you have. And at that time, that was his business. Uh, so I was just, you know, working for him. Um, but we worked together very closely. Um, and, you know, he had uh, a good uh, business mind and uh, we expanded the business very quickly. Um, and, you know, it's just about solving problems and trying to grow. Um, and that's what we did uh, together. So so that, you know, that's always a challenge to grow a business and, you know, keep moving forward. Um, and you got, you know, all the personalities involved to do that. But you really want to focus on people and their talents and, you know, where are they going to shine and, and put them in a position so they can shine and, and really grow and uh you know bring value and they feel good about themselves and they add value to the company so that's that's always been kind of you know the approach that we have yeah i like to ask that just because uh it becomes really interesting when you when you work with family but also uh this is a podcast for you know hardscape business owners and we when you talk about people um it gets really interesting when you transition from that construction uh, type of business and then transition towards IQ power tools. And you're talking about people and I'm sure uh, people are still at the forefront with IQ power tools and the team that you're building there. Uh, and I guess what I'm kind of rambling on about here is what were you able to take from that construction side of things and transition towards, you know, uh, the people that you're investing into with IQ power tools. What were you able, what kind of um, things did you learn throughout your career that you were able to transition into something like IQ power tools where, you know, still in the construction industry, but very much a very different type of business in the construction industry? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things are very similar about construction and building power tools. Because um, when you're, you know, we would build buildings, schools, and courthouses, and those types of things. So, from a building and technical aspect, you know, everything's got to be plumb level and square. Uh, you got to have a set of blueprints that you're building to, which is uh, very similar to power tools, uh, but it's just on a very smaller level and, you know, the tolerances are much tighter. Um, from the people aspects, uh, you know, we, one of the, the, the advantages I had is because I worked with my tools and, and was in construction and worked in that environment, a construction environment, which is very dynamic, I understood the problems. Um, so when we design power tools, we're trying to solve those problems in our power tools so that we're not adding more inconvenience to the to the worker or the the contractor. So you know we brought our experience along with us and, and put that into how we design our tools. Um, and that being said, we also brought some of the people uh, you know from the construction business with us. And I really like to employ people that have that kind of construction background so they can understand you know, the challenges that uh, our end users are facing so that we can be kind of uh, sympathetic as you were or just share that experience. So that again, we're bringing that uh, problem solving skills as we design and build new power tools. Definitely. Yeah. And I, sorry, that just came to mind as you were talking there, that question and employees have been top of mind personally for me, and I'm sure many other construction uh, business owners with uh, the labor that we're experiencing right now. And with that, I really see, you know, these, these tools that you're putting out there, these dust collection integrated tools uh, as something that can attract employees and not necessarily just attract employees, but also help to retain those employees because us as employers can really um, use them to say like, we're investing into your health, your safety on the job site. Do you see that as the same, as something that you're trying to promote to the industry and trying to help business owners kind of uh, understand that IQ power tools can offer this as you, as an employer? Yeah, absolutely. That's really at the core of uh, why we got into this business because we were trying to protect our employees' health um, and be compliant with OSHA. Uh, and so, you know, all of these tools came out of that uh, initial desire. Um, and so, you know, anybody that is purchasing our tools can, uh, you know, see the benefits of that. Um, they're protecting their employees' health, but not, not only their employees, but you think about a hardscape project that is in somebody's backyard in some people's neighborhood. Um, if people are out there dry cutting and you know letting that dust go, it's drifting over into the neighbors and you know just getting all over the landscaping, and the employees are having to breathe the dust. It just is a, a big nuisance and a huge health uh, issue as well. So you know, dry cutting and capturing the dust is really the best way. It's the safest way. It's good for our contractors and from a marketing standpoint, saying that they can work much cleaner than possibly their competitors. So it just, you know, all around uh, is a benefit. Plus it puts the contractor in compliance with OSHA standards. That's always a good thing. Yeah. And, and you mentioned clients too, as well. can definitely appreciate that. And you said, you know, dry cutting is like number one. And then the uh, alternative to that 
somebody could say, well, wet cutting, you know, cuts down the dust just as much. But what I've seen with wet cutting is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cutting with my quick cut or whatever. And then it's, you know, all that dust or all that uh, slurry is getting on my pants. I get in my truck, it's dried. And then it's just a puff of, of dust all over my truck. So uh, definitely dry cutting is, is top, top tier when it comes to collection of dust and preventing that dust, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, it solves all those problems and gets rid of the water and, and the staining issues and the freezing issue and uh, just the mess associated with water. So, yeah, it's it's really the best method. And one thing that I uh, don't know much about and actually is probably one of the most requested topics that we have on the show um, that we haven't had yet would be uh, sorry, the saws, the actual blades to them. You know, what makes an actual good blade? What makes an actual quality blade? Because there's no shortage of saws, of blades to, uh, you know, add to our collections. But in your opinion, Paul, what, what actually makes a good blade for the material that we're typically cutting, concrete, natural stone, whatever it might be in our industry? Well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a huge question. There's a yeah. lot of uh, ways we could go with that. Um, you know, one thing is you got to be purchasing from a good, uh, solid, you know, supplier of diamond blades that you trust. Because there is a lot of people out there that uh, are selling diamond blades, and they just want to sell a blade. They don't care, you know, what the outcome is. They're just looking for that initial sale. They'll put different colors on them. They'll put graphics on them. They'll, you know... Uh, you know, do all kinds of things to jazz it up to just market a blade. But at the end of the day, it all comes, it all comes down to, is that the right blade for your machine and the material that you're cutting? And that's going to take some experience on your part or the person that you're buying blades from. So it's usually better to be working with somebody that's local in your region that knows, you know, what type of aggregate you have in your region or what type of products that, uh, you guys are installing so they know that what type of blade to recommend for the particular tool that you have and then as uh, the end user gets more experience he starts to see what blade works best with materials on each particular saw and that really that challenge right there of selecting the right blade really put us in the diamond blade business because we were selling a machine that had a 14 inch blade the iq360 and uh, we had a blade for it and we would sell it with a blade. But then when the end user would go out and buy his second blade um, and he would just buy whatever, you know, he ended up with, whatever somebody sold them, it was whatever the bargain was. He puts that blade on the machine and then it, it stops cutting or it starts overheating the saw motor and things like that and the other components. And then they started calling us for service, say, hey, well, you know, what's wrong with my machine? And the first question is, yeah, what blade are you using? Um, and we actually did tests and got different blades in here. And you can cut with a machine with a wrong blade and the amps really start spiking. The, the heat in the motor starts going up. And so you start damaging components. And that's really us going through that uh, education told us that we really need to start designing our own blades to work with our own machines for particular materials. And so that's kind of what you see here for our IQ362. You know, we have six different blades here, depending on where you are in the world and what material you're cutting. And of course, they're specific because they have a Q-Drive Arbor. And, um, you know, while that makes it a little uh, more challenging, you got to use our blades. But 
we price the blades very competitively so that, you know, and we can then clearly recommend uh, the right blade for the job. And that's so important um, when people are using diamond blades. So one is you want to end up, you know, use a good source, good quality source, somebody that you trust and buy blades from that person that can really make good recommendations to your region. So that's kind of the beginning of the answer there. We can go into blade construction and how they're made if you like and, and you know, get into that more. But really finding a, a good source is the first thing. I would love to get into blade construction in terms of, you know, their, their diamonds, uh, you know, how are the diamonds actually put onto the blades? What does it look like? I'm going to completely leave this up to you because this is something that I do not know too much about. Um, in terms of their construction, in terms of the, is there a diamond quality that goes into it? Uh, and then we can get into more of, I guess, the maintenance side of things. And how do we know when our, our blades are starting to wear down and such? Yeah, well, let's do that. Let me uh, grab a pencil here so I can point with and we'll kind of dig into the details a little bit more. And I don't know if you're going to use the visuals here, but we'll uh, we'll go ahead and provide some of them. So let's we'll go up to our kind of our close-up camera and we'll look at some of the different blades and how they're constructed. So, for example, here we have this blade. This is called our hard material blade. Um, and if we can go really try to go tight in here, so you can see the actual segment. So this is a blade that has a random segment. Um, and what that means is you see the little dots inside of the, the segment here? Yep. Those dots are actually the diamonds. Uh, those are the little diamond chunks that are in, the, in this segment. And in this particular blade, it's laid out in a random pattern. And what that means is this part of the blade right here is the segment. It will be molded and put under high pressure and high heat, and it basically it starts out as kind of a metal powder, and then it's heated up along with the diamonds that are put into this metal powder. It's put into a mold, and it's squeezed into this shape right here, and that makes a segment. And then the segment then is welded on to the core, and it's welded on right here, and that's how a diamond blade is made. So the real magic of a diamond blade is how they mix this matrix right here. There's different metals, and there's different diamond compounds and different uh, gradients of diamond. So designing this part of the blade to the type of material you're cutting is the real trick. Because what you want to have happen is, let's zoom out and I'll just talk about a little bit of diamond blade technology. If you look at the diamond close up, it's gonna look like a comet. So there's gonna be a chunk of diamond and behind that chunk of diamond, there's going to be like this tail of metal material that's holding that chunk in place. And as this chunk grinds through your concrete, this tail is kind of the backer and it holds that in place because it's pushing through the concrete. Um, and what you want to have happen is you want the metal to be wearing away and exposing these new diamond at its proper rate to the material that you're cutting. So for example, if you're cutting very hard material, then you want a very soft bond that's holding this diamond in place. That way it's exposing diamond quicker. And just the opposite, if you're cutting very soft material, then you want a harder bond uh, material that's exposing the diamonds slower. 
And that's kind of the whole, you know, in a nutshell, the matrix of how uh, the diamond blades are designed. So understanding the, the PSI of the material you're cutting, what type of aggregate you're cutting, you know, in different parts of the country, the aggregate changes. Um, and sometimes drastically to where a blade that works, you know, really good in on the West Coast in Southern California may not work in the Ohio Valley where they got different types of aggregate or up in Canada uh, as well. So, so understanding those regions and what types of, uh, what is the hardness of the aggregate is kind of the start. And then the product that is being cut, you know, is it uh, a techo block or a Nikolak or a, you know, a Belgard, you know, there's different things and in different regions. So matching the blade uh, to those different regions. So, Again, go, going back to our blade, this is a, a random segment. So the, the diamonds are all spread out <clears throat> in kind of a random pattern. But also what we have, you see some of our other blades is some what is referred to as a newer technology or an arrayed diamond. So I don't know if you can see this, but these diamonds are actually laid out in rows. Can you see that? Yeah, absolutely. So what that is, is... Um, it's kind of lining the diamonds up in a very strategic way so that they're standing in line ready to be, you know, cut and like teeth. And then the next set of diamonds is right behind it, ready to cut as it wears away. So, um, and that's a, what is called an arrayed diamond. And that's what most of our blades are the arrayed diamond type um, because they wear very consistently and they perform very consistently. So, um, you know, there's different reasons why you would have arrayed or random. When you get into some very hard materials like this purple blade, actually the random will work a little bit better because it's a softer matrix releasing the, the, the exposing the diamond quicker. So it actually works a little bit better on really, really hard material. Whereas the, the uh, arrayed diamond works uh, better for the softer materials especially for, you know, our types of machines that we are using. So, so that's how, you know, a little bit of a snapshot. Also, different blades have uh, different qualities. We like the silent uh, core blade. So let me show you this purple blade is not a silent core. And when I take it, oh, that is, sorry, is a silent. No, I think this, yeah, there we go. So that's not a silent blade, that blade right there. So you see how it rings? And you notice when you're running a, a blade, you'll get a very large whistle and ring out of a blade. So our all of our other blades are not, they're silent core. But we actually put a uh, an inner core sandwiched inside that deadens the sound. So that just really drops the decibel level, um, you know, from your standard blade. So it's just a really, uh, you know, gives you a much more premium uh, experience, keeps the noise down because we're big about the safety, worker safety, dust is a big part of that, but also noise. Um, and same thing, noise in a neighborhood. You know, if somebody's cutting, you can, you can hear it. So if we can keep that noise down, that's also a big uh, factor in the blade design, so. That's incredible. What about when it comes to um, the diamonds? Is there, do you have like a certain, um, I guess, density of diamonds? And would you see a lower quality 
uh, blade on the market that has less diamonds in it? Is that how, say, like a lower quality blade would cost less because their diamond density is a little bit less? Is that something? Yeah, they're, they're yes. I mean, and that's that could be all over the map. Uh, their diamond density could be less. It can be a very soft bond, and it cuts very fast, but it wears out very quickly. Uh, and that's something that's really common. Is they sell this a blade that uh, you know it cuts really good, it cuts fast, but you know there's no life to it. And that's the other thing is you want to balance. You don't want a blade that wears out in three days. You know these things should be lasting many, many days, if not months. Um, and so matching the right, uh, you know, blade with the material again is the important thing. Because if you take, let's say you're cutting very soft material and you cut with a very soft bond, your blade is going to wear out prematurely. So you, you want to make sure you're, you're using the right blade for the material you're cutting. And you need to be very suspicious of, you know, people, especially there's a lot of guys that call you up on the phone and try to sell you blades over the, over the phone. They don't know what you're cutting. They don't really care what you're cutting. They're, they just want to sell you a blade. So, um, again, that goes back to trying to find somebody regionally local that understands the materials in your area, the machine that you're operating, and they can make much better recommendations for you. That's great. Excellent advice. What about the size and shape of the actual segments themselves? I see on your desk there, there's many different sort of uh, styles of those segments, even some that have teeth on them or even holes in them. What what goes into the design of those segments and what materials they're cutting? Yeah, you know, there is, you know, most of our blades follow this kind of the same pattern here. Um, we have different segment counts depending on the type of material you're cutting because it's it's kind of um, like this blade has less segments than our black blade down there on the end. And that's kind of like your gearing of your car. You can kind of downshift, you have less bite here, but that keeps your blade speed up. So that's part of you know the segment count of uh, how many segments there are on a blade. And then there's the shape of the blade. For example, this MSEG blade, it's kind of a unique blade because it's it's made to, um, cut very abrasive material that has very hard aggregate. And we actually developed this blade in Germany for our materials over there because they have really, really hard aggregate. Um, but then they have this soft, very abrasive sands that are holding the, the stones in place. And so we developed this blade. And what this does is, you know, it gives you just some extra gaps um, so the blade speed can stay very high and very consistent and it has a, the right segment and as a, uh, a random segment uh, diamond pattern to get through the type of cutting. So it's just, you know, again, it's just designing the segment to deal with the type of material you're cutting. And again, if you took this blade and started cutting, you know, really soft material, it's gonna wear out really quickly. Uh, and that's not what you want. This is made for cutting, you know, your harder materials with hard aggregate, so. So just, uh, again, you know, getting that, having that blade knowledge and, you know, somebody that can explain that to the end user is, is very helpful. And, you know, it's really why you want to work with somebody that, uh, you know, you know, we have all this knowledge uh, that we try to share each actually. And on the back of you know, our box here. So here's on the back of our box. And you can kind of see that we lay out our different color blades. And then, you know, is it soft, medium, medium, hard, soft, very hard, and, you know, extremely hard. We try to put some, uh, you know, PSI levels, 3,000 up to 8,000 and beyond. Um, 
And so that just helps, you know, gives a little bit of blade knowledge to the uh, end user so that he can, you know, try to select the right blade and also our, you know, uh, regional salespeople out there so that they can try to select the right blade, you know, for the job that they're cutting. So, so it's all, you know, knowledge is power, as they say, and, you know, you can save a lot of money and uh, by, you know, learning about blades and, and selecting the right blade. So, Paul, what does the maintenance of these blades look like? I know you guys are big on dressing stones. What does that do to the blade in terms of prolonging its life? Can you touch on all of this right now? Yeah, so what a dressing stone does is sometimes, especially, and it gets it's more common in, um, in tile blades, and we have our, you know, our tile line of blades. When you start switching from you know, uh, different types of materials, from soft to hard, and in tile, you're going from porcelain, ceramic materials to stone materials and natural materials. What happens is those diamonds, and here's a, here's a dressing stone, and basically it kind of sands away the matrix or the metal powder around the diamonds and exposes fresh diamonds. That's what it does. And because when you're cutting different types of materials, and sometimes you get a blade that it still has a lot of segment left, but it just doesn't want to cut. And that means there's no diamond there. You just have metal exposed. There's no diamonds exposed, and so it stops cutting. But you can take a dressing stone, what we call opening that blade back up, exposing fresh diamond, uh, and then it's kind of like sharpening the blade, if you will. And then it'll it'll go back to cutting. But that's really important in the die in the pile saw blades because they're cutting all kinds of a variety of different things. Um, typically, you know, hardscapers are cutting concrete products. You know, there's different aggregates and different brands, but they're really in a, a pretty a close range. Um, so the dressing stone, while it's good to have them, and if your blade stops cutting, you know, use the dressing stones. You can open them, your blade back up and get it cutting. Because your diamond blade, some people don't realize, just because it stops cutting doesn't mean the blade is no good. Uh, it just needs to be opened up. The diamonds need to be exposed. Exposed. So you should be able to wear this blade all the way down to where there's no segment left because there's diamond all the way down in that segment. And you want to make sure you, you're getting your value out of that blade. That's interesting. I actually didn't know that with that. So basically, uh, if you take good care of the blade, if you're cutting the right materials with that blade, that segment should be basically no more diamonds all the way shrunken down. You've got the life out of that blade. Exactly. Incredible. Incredible. So uh, as we kind of wind down here, Paul, um, I want to get into products that you have available for hardscapers specifically. Uh, okay. If they're looking for a saw uh, that has the integrated dust collection system in it, uh, for IQ Power Tools, what do we have available for hardscapers specifically? Yeah, well, we've had a few models and we can kind of go over to these other cameras here and, and show you. Um, so this has been a machine, the IQ362, that's been on the market for several years now. And I think it's kind of, has become the, the hardscaper's go-to saw. It's for cutting, you know, your uh, pavers and uh, wall block and not really wall block, but anything that's up to about four or five inches thick. And it has the integrated dust collection. Your dust, you know, is collected right here in this tray. Um, so this become a very popular in the hardscape industry. Um, the feedback we were getting from this, and it, always people are, you know, want to cut much larger things. And that has led us to the development of 
what we call the IQ 1550. This machine basically has a 21 and a half inch blade. It allows you to cut, you know, very large material, wall block, uh, eight inch thick uh, wall block. Um, you know, you can cut basically, if you know what a 20 inch masonry saw is that's been around for over 80 years, this will have the same capacity. It'll cut uh, your concrete masonry block, uh, 8816s, your, you know, cut things that are 16 inches wide by eight inches tall. Uh, you can cut your wall block um, with fully integrated dust collection. And again, the vacuum is fully automatic, built inside. Here's your tray. You know, that's where your dust ends up at the end of the day. So it's just really taking the, the, the attributes from the IQ 362 and, and uh, a 20-inch saw and merging them together to make a very compact, very powerful a capable machine and it's very portable it also has a a lift hook here so you can move it around with an excavator you can also pick it up with your little those little dingoes that have forks on them and move it into the backyard or wherever you're doing your work so this is something that we're introducing the you know the beginning of uh, next year incredible so. and and just for uh weight uh wise what is that kind of sitting at as in it's gonna weigh to uh you know right around 350 pounds so it's a it's a heavy machine that's kind of why we put the lift hook on it yeah and uh you know fork pockets but it you know you can wheel it around you know once you get it in place definitely yeah that is incredible very very maneuverable and then uh if you know uh what hardscapers just starting out maybe on that smaller end may go to the others uh type one but that is that cuts you said four inches to five inches in height yeah this machine will cut uh up to just under six inches so gotcha. you know this machine will go eight inches and more so that's the big difference you don't wall block or you know some big segmental wall block those types of things Incredible. Oh. And then maintenance on these machines. What are we kind of looking at with that? Yeah, basically, you need to empty the dust tray out, you know, every day. That should be a no-brainer, but, you know, people need to be told that. Um, also, the filters, changing the filters out once a year. So that's pretty much the, the maintenance on the dust collection. And then, you know, your blades are going to wear out like a normal diamond blade. So you, you want to be, uh, you know, aware of that and, and have the right blade for the material you're cutting. We've touched on a lot of different benefits of these machines in, in our industry specifically. Employee uh, retention, employee attracting employees for the client as well. And just for our health in general, is there anything, Paul, that we've m left out in this interview that, you know, this is kind of the future that we're moving towards with OSHA compliance, with Canada uh, moving towards more dust-free uh, zones, especially in the re residential setting? Um, anything else that you think we haven't really touched on in this interview? Well, I think, you know, one good thing that I'd like to leave people with, um, you know, don't even think about the regulations or, you know, the convenience of dry cutting. Think about the worker health. Think about you and it, let's say it's your son that's out there on the job site. Any of that dust that goes into your lungs stays in your lungs. And what it does is it actually goes into your lungs. It goes into the little air sacs of your lungs and it sticks in there like kind of like a barb. And how your lungs are made to deal with that is it creates a little scar tissue that goes over that. 
and it kind of just that's how it deals with it tries to dispose of it it can because it basically becomes a little rock inside of your lungs but it actually has just killed a piece of your lung function you do that over a career and you you know guys that are maybe 40 45 years old they've lost you know 50 75 percent of their lung function and now they can't go you know climb a set of stairs or go kick a soccer ball around with their kids so that's really the message that, uh, you know, I like to, you know, have people understand and get in their minds is that dust is very dangerous. If you see dust in the air, you need to protect yourself, whether it's by using a machine, a dust mask, or just getting out of that area because it's very, very dangerous. And so really for young people, I tell the older guys, like for myself, I didn't know this when I was young. So the damage has been done. Young guys, protect yourselves. Be aware of that that dust is very dangerous and use the precautions that your employers uh, give you. You know, try to use machines. These are called engineered controls to capture that dust. Whatever the method, whether it's IQ or anything else, just protect yourselves. And that's really the most important thing that I want people to understand. Yeah, an incredible message and an incredible company that you guys got over there to be able to implement these things for us, in, especially in our industry. Uh, Paul explained it really well there, but just Google silicosis and it'll make you not want to, uh, you know, have any dust in your lungs ever. So, Paul, with that being said, where can our audience go to find out more about you, yourself, IQ Power Tools, anywhere that you want to send them to? Yeah, truly, uh, IQPowerTools.com is our website. Also on there, there's a whole uh, explanation of the dangers of silica dust, how to protect yourself, um, a lot of educational things on there, and plus all of our products are online. And of course, on our YouTube channel at IQ Power Tools, there's lots of videos about the seeing the tools in action as well. So any of those places would be uh, very educational. And you guys will be at H&A this year, correct? Yes, we will. And this machine will actually be there. We'll be doing live demonstration so if anybody's uh, listening they can come out and check it out so everyone go check out paul and iq power tools there at hna this year and paul thank you so much for joining us been a pleasure thank you mike thank you for listening to today's podcast episode once again go check out iq power tools at iq power tools on instagram send them a message that would mean a lot to me myself personally if you just shot them a message saying hey i heard you on the how to hardscape podcast thank you for that information on blades your saws anything else that you want to send them there and if you haven't heard about iq power tools go check them out on instagram once again the visuals will be posted on i am a hardscaper on youtube if you want to check us out there subscribe to us there and more of the interview will actually be posted on the how to hardscape youtube channel so i am a hardscaper will have the blade video talking about everything that you we talked about in this blade segment of this interview and the full interview will be posted on the how to hardscape youtube channel and we look forward to meeting with you next week on the how to hardscape podcast